Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. It's time to get outside. This is KSL Outdoors. Brought to you by Trax Power Sports Rentals. Two hours of stories and information on hunting, fishing, and high adventure. KSL Outdoors with Tim Hughes on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back. Hour number two and the final one for another week of the program. It's nice to have you listening, as always, here on a Saturday morning. Cold nights. Goodness. Uh, I was uh, in my conversation earlier this morning with uh, Solitude. Middle of the day on Thursday, it was 7 degrees (laughs) mid-mountain at Solitude today. Uh, And we've got colder temperatures coming for the weekend. The good news is it looks like it's going to be dry, which is, uh, I mean, good news as far as football games go that are going to be late at night on a Saturday night. Uh, but uh, we look forward to uh, some more storms heading our way hopefully next week. Tim Hughes here. Russ Smith is also still hey, with us. Good morning. And uh, Navidomskis up there in Cageville. Good morning. Good morning. Um, yeah, I, I mentioned the cold temperatures and, and uh, the, the fact that it was dry is a good thing because the, the Utes have a, what is it, 8 or 8.30 kick Saturday it's night. an eight click, but Tim, you're indoors. I'm outdoors, and I'm saying <laughs> the opposite. I want it to be snow. Come on. Well, just because it's a California team, probably, you want to make no, it as difficult no, as no, possible. No, no, I remember before climate change when we brought shovels to the game to literally dig our way into the seats. And that, and the announcer, the other guy, would say, don't throw snowballs. Really? Absolutely. That's the way it used to be. In fact, we we just stick, stuck our cold drink in a snow Right there, just so you wouldn't tip it over. Where'd you park your horse and buggy? No, back then I lived in Salt Lake, and I would take the Ute cab, I'm not making that up, and then walk home. All right. I thought maybe there was somebody taking care and feeding the horses out front because it was so long ago. It wasn't that long ago. Bob McBride was our coach. All right. We're going to do a little road tripping with uh, Bob and Mark coming up. And then, as has already been documented here, uh, Snow Day is going to take us up to Solitude. They're up and running. Their lifts are up and running, along with Brighton, by the way. And uh, Brian had got a week early jump on everybody. They've been open now for about 10 days. Uh, So we'll talk about that. And Gary Nate will share with us information about. the new Warren Miller film, Daybreaker, I think is what it's called, and specifically uh, a couple of showings that are going to be happening up in the Cache Valley area, so look forward to that. Right now, though, we're going to spend some time with Craig Walker, who is our Assistant Aquatics Section Chief for the Division of Wildlife Resources. What exactly is that job? Well, uh, I kind of lord over all of the biologists we have at a regional scale uh, and help them make decisions on the management of all of our sport fisheries throughout the state. So just a small thing. Yeah. 
We appreciate you taking the time with us uh, today. Faith sent me a uh, press release a little while ago about some uh, funding that has come along for projects like boat ramps and marina parking areas, marina restrooms, docks. I think most people, if they're you know boat owners for sure, but if they just uh, come up recreationally to uh, our reservoirs or our lakes, may just assume that these things just sort of appear overnight and that nobody has to do the uh, the, the sweat equity to get them done, but that's not the case. No, I really appreciate the opportunity today to, to talk to folks about it because I agree. I think some people, I think, f- figure the ramps fall from the sky and just land there. Um, no, it, it, there's a lot that goes into this. Uh, there's about $1.2 million uh, every year that we put forward to do access improvements at boating facilities across the state. Uh, 75% of that comes from our sport fish restoration program, which is put forward by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And 25% of that comes from our partner, the Utah Division of Outdoor Recreation, uh, and also comes from municipalities and county-level government. Are these federal funds more, less, about the same? Does Is this an annual thing? Uh, it's an annual thing. It's a program that was set up, oh gosh, probably 30, 40 years ago. Um, and it basically takes excise taxes on boating equipment, boats themselves, uh, fuel taxes, and uh, boat registration fees, and rolls that up into a formula and distributes funds to each of the 50 states for boating access improvements. Yeah. Navi, when you guys go up uh, and hit one of the reservoirs for fishing, you're not necessarily launching big boats. It's usually float tubes or something like that, but I'm sure you're still appreciative of the uh, infrastructure. Let me just say this. Um, If this gentleman here is in charge of all of our sport fisheries, I'm going to call him Lord. (laughs) <laughs> um, but yes, yes, but we still pay the fees. I mean, we bring our little pontoon boats and throw them in from the bank, but we still have to pay the $10 fee or whatever, or $20 fee, whatever it is to get in and park. Yeah. And that's a great point to make is that we all have a stake in this, don't we, Craig? Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's one of those things when you think about the investment that's made to maintain those opportunities for fishing and boating across the state, uh, the fees that we you know, require at places like state parks are relatively small when compared with some of the other recreational opportunities that people are willing to pay for. You know, I was talking with somebody the other day and, you know, when I was a kid, it was 50 cents for a frame of bowling. I don't know what it is now, but it's, it's a lot of money. Uh, skiing is another one that's really expensive and relatively uh, fishing and boating is pretty cheap. When you want to talk about pressure on some of these places, uh, Russ, we I'm sure you just drove past it on your way back from Washington, but uh, Willard Bay State Park just oh, yeah. up there off of I-15. How many people would you guess visit there on an, on an annual basis? I'll just make it a million. You're, well, it's a little bit less than that, but so, not much. 700,000. Well, 700,000 wow. visitors in, yeah. in 2021. So the pressure on some of these things is immense. Tim? Yeah. Yeah. Navi, go um, ahead. Yeah, let me say this about what we have in the state of Utah, this resource called fishing. It's the greatest resource and the cheapest resource you can have in any form of recreation. If I go play golf, I pay green fees every time I go. With my season pass, it's astronomical in price. And if I go every time, I have to pay every time. But my little fishing license, which is basically a, an, an entree at some restaurant, lasts me all year, and I never have to pay it every time I go. You're right about that. I brought up uh, the numbers from Willard Bay. That's on the list, Craig, of places that are getting some improvements. We're not going to have time to get to them all, but tell me about that one in particular. 
Sure. So, uh, you know, as, as you guys are aware, and I'm sure most of your listeners are aware, aquatic invasive species are a huge issue, specifically quagga mussels in Utah, with Lake Powell being infested with those. Um, and Willard Bay uh, Reservoir is actually one of the number one recipient waters of boat traffic from Lake Powell. So people that boat at Powell end up going to Willard. Um, historically, we've only had the one decontamination station for aquatic invasive species at the North Marina. Uh, what we're trying to do there is expand the capacity and have an aquatic invasive species decontamination station uh, developed at the South Marina. And that will allow uh, folks to, rather than have to go to the North Marina and then launch at the South Marina, they can simply go to the South Marina, decon there, and then launch there. So it's a, it's a convenience thing. And again, at the end of the day, this is about customer service and providing uh, accessible resources for all of our boaters. I'm going to make a guess here without looking at this list that the drought has probably put some strains on uh, these uh, ramps and things because they've had to be extended just to get boats in the water. Yeah, it's a good point, Tim. Uh, you know, this year we're actually looking at paring down the number of new projects that we fund and really investing in an effort to take stock in the inventory that we have out in the landscape, the infrastructure that we've developed over the past 30 or 40 years. Um and the reason why is because we want to assess what we need to do in the way of maintenance for a lot of these facilities. And in some cases, whether or not maintenance is uh, a worthwhile investment, um, you know, continually extending boat ramps uh, in a reservoir that might end up being a river someday because we're, we're seeing that level of uh, water issues, um, you know, might be something we don't invest in, but we want to be able to to prioritize and make sure that we're doing the necessary maintenance and not having a deferred maintenance situation on these facilities that are experiencing uh, enhanced maintenance needs as a result of climate change. Well, sure. that's a stark conversation to yeah, have, but but one that is a real dose of reality, isn't it? Yeah. Hey, Craig, um, you you probably have a good handle on this question. Um, we've been working on the quagga mussel thing since the quagga mussels showed up pretty much, but all the Western states are working on it too. Do you have a, 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 a feel on, on how we're doing with the battle? You know, it, it, it's an interesting model. Um, we are out there and we are completely yeah. reliant on voluntary compliance from our boaters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there is an enforcement aspect of it for sure. But without their uh, willingness to comply and do the things that need to be done and that conduct that heavy lift, it would be an epic fail. Um, but it's not. Uh, we've been able to stem the tide. Uh, in Utah specifically, a good example is we have a, a, an access site like Lake Powell that affords millions of boaters, tens of millions of boaters, uh, an, an access opportunity. And those boaters end up going to other waters when they're done at Lake Powell. Yeah. And we still have been able to stem the tide and keep the spread of quagga mussels from happening. And, you know, Powell's been infested, gosh, I think for over 10 years now. So, you know, that that's that's a testament to the success of the program, I oh, think, in and of itself. It really is. Uh, Russ has known, been known around here for years as the Kaibo King. A lot of these things, Russ, you'll be happy to know, <laughs> go to improve restrooms. Can't shake that one, can I? <laughs> uh, uh, Gunnison Bend Reservoir mm. is going to get an upgrade for uh, the restrooms there. They're actually relocating, it looks like, some of the uh, restrooms nice. at Big Sand Wash Reservoir. But 
I mean everything from uh, operation and maintenance of installed floating structures at Flaming Gorge. It really is a pleasure just to get to talk about this stuff, Craig, and we appreciate all the work you guys have done. And thank goodness uh, for those uh, folks, those outdoor lovers that get out there and uh, pay their fees, get their boats or whatever it is registered, and then go and use these facilities that you've worked so hard on. Just a shout-out to the Utah anglers and boaters. Uh, without them, this couldn't happen. So yeah. their fees that they pay, uh, it's called the User Pay, User Benefit Program, and it really does work. Yep. Uh, Craig Walker, thank you so much for your time. Take care, guys. Thank you much. Thanks, Craig. When we come back, we're going to do a little road trip, and Bob and Mark are going to take a look at some of the Christmas events that happen around the state that might get you back outdoors. So stay with us. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Time to do a little road trip in today, and that means we're checking in with Bob Grove and Mark Wade. Oh, and Willie. On the road again. Willie. And Willie. <laughs> Just can't wait to get on the road again. Welcome back in, uh, Mark Wade. Hello there, sir. How are you this morning? Doing fantastic. And uh, looking forward to finding out where you're going to take us this week. Bob Grove is also with us. Good morning. Good morning. How are things in uh, sunny... L.A. Verkin today. Uh, sunny. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, it's actually quite nice. We had a lot of uh, weather come through this past week, but it's looking pretty nice now. In the next half hour, we're going to be uh, having our snow day segment. I checked in a little earlier this morning and had a chance to record with Solitude, who has, the, who has their lifts up and running. You'll be happy to know it was seven degrees there this morning when I was having my conversation. So uh, that would shock a few people down in your neck of the woods, I think. Um, Mark, you sent me a list of things, and I think actually before we start, maybe I ought to do this. This will be appropriate background music. <laughs> little Christmas music in the background, uh, because you guys have mapped out some Christmas events that are happening border to border, and I can't think of a more beautiful spot, Mark, than Tuacon Amphitheater, and I didn't know about some of the things they're doing down there. Well, Tuacon, you know, has it's been around over, over 25 years now down there in, in Ivins, Utah, just north of St. George, right? Snow Canyon State Park. You've got a 1,500-foot backdrop there, and, and all Christmas long, from about just after Thanksgiving Day all the way through up until just before Christmas, they have Christmas in the canyon, about 250,000 lights. They have a live nativity scene, and a lot of locals participate in that. They have real camels in the nativity scene. It's pretty fun. Hmm. Train rides. Santa Claus and Rudolph, and so we think that's a great evening event all through the Christmas season, uh, get out to Tuacon. The other thing that's 
not far from Tuacon is the community of Cayenta. And Cayenta is just a little bit to the west of Tuacon. And they've got a new arts and entertainment area out there that uh, they've got a facility where the Kurt Bester will be doing a Christmas concert. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, if you. He's a good one. It, yeah, if you haven't seen a Kurt Bester concert, oh. uh, you're really missing out uh, because he's a composer and he'll take songs you know. And until he gets to the chorus, you won't even you realize where he's taking you. But it's it's yeah. really a fantastic. I, night. I sang with Kurt Bester for a short time. What? Yeah, uh, uh-huh. a few years ago would have been really short. Like the first three notes, he heard you. He'd say, no, it was "You're the done." Whole song. <laughs> it was a whole song. Yeah, I think yeah. Russ sang uh, tenor. No, I I don't know what I sang because he had that machine going, so I sounded good. <laughs> We sang "Twinkle Twinkle Little Star." Oh wow! I wish it, I, that wasn't a song I would have picked, but you know. How anyway, it? it was a great concert. "Twinkle Twinkle Little yeah. Star" by Russ. There's yeah. a there's an image for you. Yeah, right they haven't now. published it, so <laughs> forget it. All right. Uh, and speaking of tenors, the redneck tenors, I guess, uh, finalist on America's Got Talent are going to be a part of that down nice. there, Mark. Yeah. So there's a couple of good things. Just if people are looking to go south for. For the next couple of months, then these are things we want to talk about this morning. Bob, tell me about St. George. Well, the St. George Christmas Village at Stuckey Farms, this is something that um, uh, Susan and I take our grandkids to every year. It's a lot of fun. It's out at the Stuckey Farms out in Washington Fields. Mark will know this area very well, but it's a it, it transforms into this winter wonderland Christmas village. They have train rides, ice skating, a Santa's workshop, you know, get your photo taken with Santa, lots of shopping and food. I mean, it's just a, it runs from November 24th through December 23rd. And it is absolutely worth going to see if you're in the area. Yeah. And if you're in the area, you might as well take in the uh, Dickens Christmas Festival, Mark. That one kicks off the first couple of days of December, I think. That's right. And it's just there at the Dixie Center, right in St. George. And they've got all kinds of uh, Dickens old style uh, booths and so on there and you can go there and get food entertainment lots of little neat little shops there and it's just a, a fun few hours and if you're looking to do something maybe before uh, Christmas I know uh, Cedar City has an event that's been on for a number of years uh, more than a decade I think Bob uh, that centers around Thanksgiving yeah, they've got their uh, 17th annual Thanksgiving powwow. You know, the uh, Paiute Indians are headquartered. The, the There are five bands of Paiute in Utah, and they're headquartered in Cedar City. And so they're having their 17th annual Thanksgiving powwow. I usually go to their um, restoration uh, gathering every June. It's really a great time. Very colorful. And they do uh, the Messiah on December 11th. I see that on the list, too, at the Heritage Center Conference Center. Uh, Parowan Kanab, give me just a highlight of Parowan for a minute, Bob. This is my favorite Christmas town. They have a great uh, tradition of lighting up the town, Main Street. A lot of the homes jump in, but they have a wonderful event November 25th and 26th with a bazaar. Um, uh, the parade, um, candlelight, walking parade. It's a, this, is, this really transforms truly into a Christmas town. And the Polar Express, where's that one? The Polar Express in Kanab? Yeah. Yeah, that's just down in town. They're actually doing an indoor-outdoor version of it. This it goes out to a farm. They, I believe that, yeah, they, this is really a fun event that they do. It's really great for the families. You know, Polar Express has just become a great tradition almost everywhere now. 
wherever there's the possibility of a small train that they can set up to those railroads that we have, like the uh, Heber Valley Railroad. Yeah. Do you guys have a, a tab of this, uh, some of these listings on your website, Mark? Yes, if, if people go to roadtrippingwithbobandmark.com and just check right on the front page, they'll see a tab right there that talks about things to do at the holiday season or at Christmas season. Oh, that's fantastic. So many things. Uh, that's why I love having you guys on. You know all this stuff, and, and uh, you've been there, done that. Thank you, guys. It's uh, roadtrippingwithbobandmark.com. We'll catch up next week. All right. Have a great weekend. Mark, thank you. Thank you. Yep, good to talk with you. There's lots of room for him in our two-car garage. I'd feed him there and wash him there and give him his <laughs> All right, if you're not in the mood for uh, Christmas or Thanksgiving just yet, we'll uh, talk skiing. Snow day, right after a news update. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.